Hi, it's Taylor. Quickly jumping in before the episode starts to let you know that we've changed our name and are now Sisters Assemble. You can find our updated social handles in the show notes. Enjoy the show! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie, and we're two sisters and borderline obsessed Marvel fans who have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe closely for years. And now we want to share our MCU discussions with you. We chat about our own predictions and theories, plus some of our favorites from online, and our reactions to all of the Marvel content that's considered MCU canon, including the Disney Plus shows and the movies, as well as the Marvel news you need to know. All right, everyone, you know what this is. It is Thor opening weekend, or in this case, when you're listening to it, it is the back half of opening weekend for Thor Love and Thunder. Quick spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, definitely put this on pause, go see the movie, and come right back. Because we are going to break down Thor from minute one all the way through the second end credit scene, what we loved, what we didn't like, where Thor might be going next, and how it affects the MCU moving forward. Katie, why don't you take us away with your initial reactions? Well, I love the movie, and I don't know if there's anything else I can really say about it other than the fact that I walked out, and personally, that's how you do a Marvel movie. I think, I mean, obviously, I felt all sorts of things from No Way Home, so I'm not gonna, like, poop on that because that was a whole other thing, but this is the feeling I wanted from Multiverse of Madness and didn't get, and I loved everything about it. I really, I think... Overall, I have only one small complaint, which we'll obviously get to later on. And it's not even really a complaint. It's just like, a, I kind of wish we would have had this in addition to what we already got. So I, there's not a single thing. I mean, I felt good about what I predicted. There was a lot of what I predicted that like didn't necessarily accurately come true to what I predicted, but it was within the realm. And I was just happy enough for that. So I was happy, loved it. Everything about it was great. Obviously, if you've got this far, you've watched it, go watch it again. I probably will. Like, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was good. I do have one kind of complaint, though, and the friend that I saw it with felt the same way, so I know at least I'm not alone because she's with me. But I did feel, you know, Ragnarok, and I know we've talked about this a million times, how much we both loved Ragnarok, had the perfect kind of mix of serious Thor, but also more comedic Thor. This movie, I felt did lean a little too much into silly Thor in the sense that like it almost made him seem unintelligent whereas like he is a really smart guy you see that when he's explaining to Jane the nine realms in the first film and in this one he just kind of seems silly and he's almost kind of the joke of his own movie which I thought was maybe a little too far in the comedic sense or on the comedic side but other than that you know I was belly laughing in this movie like the goats, just like so much of it was so funny. I thought Jane's storyline was really moving. And I know we'll dive more into that as well. Christian Bale was insane. I mean, can that man act? Like, oh my god, he was terrifying. My poor friend who I was with was literally covering her eyes. Like he was so, so good. So on the whole, really enjoyed it. But that's kind of my one big qualm is like, I think we might need to pull back on the comedy a little bit for Thor, just to make him not the butt of his own joke. No, I think that's really fair. Um, And that's definitely a good way to maybe summarize a tone issue. But I will say I 
So I sort of felt that, but I really only felt it towards the beginning. So my brain kind of filled in that blank by saying, you know, he's been with the Guardians. We know the tone of the Guardians. So I felt very much that we were just, you know, having the Guardians plus Thor. And then as the movie went on, I definitely felt like that changed. And I felt that there was now a better balance. So I just sort of chalked it all up to, you know, he's been with the Guardians. The Guardians are all foolish people. And foolish in a good way, not like foolish and like, oh, you're foolish. <laughs> but in a like literal, they're hilarious people. They're just a bunch of misfits. So to me, it just like it ended up making a lot of sense when I looked at it from that point of view. And it's and it definitely got better as the movie went on, which is why I sort of was able to just sum it all up to that. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really good interpretation. I that beginning portion kind of stuck with me a little more because I think you know, it is kind of your first impression of the film. And while those scenes did make me laugh, I remember sitting there going, oh, I hope, like, it's not all like this. Like, he's not supposed to be this, like, jokester guy. Like, yes, he's funny. And, you know, Chris Hemsworth is so good at that and, like, all of that stuff. And Ragnarok showed us that you can do that. I did enjoy, though, when he got to be, have a little more depth than I think what he did at the beginning of the movie, to your point. Like, when he was able to really talk to Jane about what was going on with her and like have those more adult conversations, that's when I was like, okay, Thor's back. Or when he feels a sense of responsibility, you know, when he's looking at his hero Zeus, and I know that's a whole thing that I'm so excited to talk about. But when he's talking to Zeus and he's like, wait a minute, you're just sitting here on the backs of all of these people. And then you're like, that's the Thor that I know. Like, not that there's anything wrong with, again, Thor being funny, but part of his appeal is that he does feel this sense of goodness because that's what makes him worthy and that's what he learned in the first one and that was kind of missing for me a little bit in that first portion of the movie well I actually and this I think maybe I thought this at the time but I'm thinking it at least now (laughs) I also sort of think I mean the biggest thing that Peter was saying to Thor is that he needs to figure out who he is Mm -hmm. he's living with life with no purpose and so I almost think you have to look at Thor as somebody for such a long time who morphed himself into everything for everybody else. I mean, we had a version of Thor who was there to be his father's warrior. We had a version of Thor who was there to be king. We had a version of Thor who was there to be an Avenger. I think we're reaching that point. I mean, now we've seen that version of Thor who was a guardian. That is who he was. He fit in with that Motley crew by being that way. And that's why, to your point then, and to what I was kind of saying earlier as well, it morphed into much more of the usual Thor tone when he was back or into a regular battle with his Asgardians, with the people he's gone into battle with before, and who I think are the people he are is allowed more than anything else to be himself with. Yeah, for sure. Or at least the closest version of who he knows himself to be. Yeah, and it's so interesting to me too. Like, I definitely want to dive more into the whole like Thor identity crisis theme because to Peter, I think it was Peter Quill who said it when he's like, dude, you've lived like thousands of years and you have no idea who you are. Yeah. And like, I thought that was like such an interesting thing. And like, you know, I think the trailers kind of did touch on this a little bit where he's he's talking about like all I've known is war and like all this stuff. But I don't think I went in there thinking that this was going to be an essay, for lack of a better term, on Thor's identity. And I actually really enjoyed that. I thought that was very interesting that like, you know, now that Taika's in his second movie, he's actually diving even deeper into the character because we saw so much growth, of course, in Ragnarok. Right. And now we're getting even deeper into the psyche because he's been completely removed from 
literally everything we know he's been through now Infinity War and Endgame and all those things. I love how they addressed bro Thor. You know, he didn't start out. Yes, he did start out back to like Chris Hemsworth jacked and crazy looking. But like, it wasn't like, oh, he just blah, blah, blah. Like they actually showed like him getting back in shape and how it was like. The training montage. We loved it. But it was like part of him like showing him getting back to himself And so instead of skipping that, like, I thought it was really important that they showed that he was, like, coming out of that depression. You know what I thought was really fun? Like, okay, I use funny because we joke about it so often as MCU fans that it has become funny. It really isn't. Thor gives Wanda a run for her money for being, like, the person who's lost the most. (laughs) And I had to really address the fact, like, when they were doing that sort of almost joking like, and I was laughing, of the montage of he lost his mom, lost his dad, lost found out his sister, lost his sister, lost his brother, lost his brother again, lost his brother again, then lost his people, then lo- I was oh, like... and the fact that they actually addressed that all three of the Warriors three are dead, I yes. did not think they were all dead. I knew like one or two were. I didn't realize she actually murdered all three. So yeah. all three of his best friends minus Sif, dead. And then they almost killed Sif, and I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and this I, I want to move into in a second here, as a blanket thing before we get into more specifics, is the characters. But I, I want to just wrap up my other thought real quick, but it was so important to me to show that. Especially because, too, we have to remember, we know all this, but something I kept bringing up was Jane doesn't. Yeah. Jane didn't live this life with him, didn't see what happened to them. And I also want to get into what happened between him and Jane. Like, this movie, if I had, like, 17 itches, it itched all of them. Yeah. And I was extremely happy over it, especially because Taika did do Ragnarok, of course, and Ragnarok was amazing. But for everything that happened, there were a lot of things that were kind of like, well, they happened off screen. And we didn't really get to address them. So I was extremely happy that you can tell he cares about his character when he's there filling in the holes for all of us to be like, here's what happened. It doesn't need to be more than maybe a two minute part of the movie. But now you're caught up with that. You don't need to pretend you don't know it or that you have to fill in what happened. Yeah, let's dive into that because, you know, and we're always going to reference Ragnarok, of course, it is Taika's first go at the character. It completely changed the course of Thor's identity and his tone and everything, obviously, throughout the rest of the MCU. But because of that, it felt so disjointed from the first two, which even though those two were also different directors, they still were close enough that you were like, all right, I can tell these are different directors, but it's not like completely off base. Same cast of characters, same general tone, same locations you know it was there was consistency there and for all the good that Ragnarok did you know it was missing that and to your point a lot of those relationships that were like so important in the first two Thors were like completely absent there was no Darcy no Dr. Selvig no Jane yeah Warriors 3 were killed off with what two minutes of screen time Sif I don't even think she was in the movie no she was off world yeah so Everybody who was his base, with the exception of Loki and his father, who died 15 minutes into the film, was gone. Yeah. And so it was completely removing him from everything. Then they killed Asgard at the end. So, like, it removed him from everything that we've known, setting-wise, characters-wise, everything. And I thought Taika did such a good job in this movie of just bringing in the characters for long enough 
to reground you in who Thor was and where he came from. Dr. Selvig, which made me so happy. Obviously, we saw Jane. We saw Darcy. All of that. Sif, who I definitely want to have like a whole segment about her. But I was so happy to see her, or sorry, see Taika bring back all of these characters so that we could bridge the gap between the first two Thor movies and Ragnarok. Well, and I think a lot of the problem with Ragnarok is, because keep in mind, and not problem in a bad way, but problem just kind of in general with why this kind of happened, was keep in mind, a director has a right to their movie, but there's still going to be a script written, and at the end of the day, in an MCU movie, there's always going to be a direction that the movie needs to take. Ragnarok is really known for the whole purpose of it, at the end of the day, leading into Infinity War. Oh, yeah. That is what it is most popularly known for. I mean... The whole thing of with Thor and how he gains the power and every or his power more of, and everything and all of that comes down to being very important in Infinity War. You can't take Thor from Dark World and put him in Infinity War. It's not the same character. So I think Taika did need to do a little bit of a let's just wipe the slate clean. Let's get some new characters moving in there. Let's, you know, get us off of Asgard. Get us moving into something else because... We're about to have a big, big thing come down the line with Marvel in general. We're going to have a whole thing that's going to take us away from Thor himself and keep him as an Avenger for a little while. So we just need to separate that a little bit. I agree wholeheartedly. And this was kind of what I was getting to with saying I have a lot to say about the characters as a whole. These were the things that I definitely was most happy about seeing was, and I predicted, and I didn't predict perfectly, but I predicted they'd come. That I, I don't know if I said about Darcy, but I did throw her out there. But I said, will we see Eric Selvig again? Yeah. He was name-dropped in Miss Marvel just like two weeks ago. And even then I said, is this a way of saying we're going to see him again? I mean, Lady Sif, that from the get I was 100% saying, she's in this film. We're seeing Lady Sif again. I called that. And even down to the Guardians being in it for a whole 10 minutes... I said, yep, that's it. I know that's happening. They're not going to stay in this film. It's not their film, and they're not needed to tell Thor's story. But I thought it did an amazing job. I mean, obviously we'll get into some of the other characters that appeared, but I genuinely was very happy with just where I felt all of Thor was now coming. Like, I could take Infinity War and Endgame out of it and now watch the four Thor movies, and I'm, I'm golden. I'm sitting there, I get it, everything's connected and I'm super happy about it. Yeah, definitely. And I think really being able to wrap up the first two with the third and make it one cohesive franchise again was so important. And to your point was something I like desperately needed. And we've definitely talked about it before. So I was really, really excited to see that. But and this is not a but because I am going to disagree with myself at all. More just a transition. Let's hone in specifically on Jane because there is so much to talk about there. And I just Let's break it down because I have so much to say, but I want you to go first. Okay, well, first, and I don't really think I get the credit for this, but I'm going to give it to me anyway. Of course or at you least are. us in general. At least us in general. But the comics, like, technically right, <laughs> did it first. But we did say that we thought this would follow the comic line. She would have cancer. Being Mighty Thor would be what kind of semi makes her feel good but not necessarily keeps her alive which is you know what we ended up seeing I and 
the person I saw it with would probably be like, yeah, it was kind of gruesome. But multiple times throughout the film, I was going, I hope she dies. Oh my God. Now hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. I said this in the predictions. I said this in the blog post. She was not going to be a permanent Thor. She was not going to be a permanent solution. And now granted, I know if you go six months back, you'll hear me disagreeing with what I'm saying right now. But as more things came out of this, and as I saw where the direction of the MCU in this film was going, I definitely knew she was not going to be a permanent solution. Chris Hemsworth, I mean, he sort of did some spoilers by saying he wanted to continue playing Thor and he'd continue making movies. I mean, you knew that he had a good ending and he was possibly set up for something more. And I mean, if she has cancer, it was like, how long are you going to be able to drag that one out? Yeah. And it just wouldn't make sense. I also just, I said multiple times, I don't think Jane is Thor's endgame. I loved how the, the love story was done. I thought it, it wrapped up everything they needed to wrap up without that stupid one line in Ragnarok that was just like, oh, they broke up. I think we got closure and I think Thor got closure and that was a big part of this film. But now he can move on. And that, I think, is the most important part, is that now he can move forward, and Jane did her part. And I even said, Mighty Thor is a cool character for this film, not to move forward with. Yeah, you know, I could not agree with you more. I think, you know, I too, I didn't, I wasn't saying during the film, I hope she dies, but when it became more clear, you know, when he told her to stay, and then he goes into the Eternal, and you see that's the scene where we saw in the trailer where she's holding the hammer, I knew immediately she was going to come. Yeah. And they weren't going to get their happy ending, all of that. So I was not upset by that. I kept thinking, oh, this is good. This is nothing against Natalie Portman or the Mighty Thor. No, 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 no. But that's kind of why I was thinking the same thing about, like, I hope, and I was saying I hope she does for the sake of, it is what's needed. I think it was a, it was a needed progression of the story. And I think to kind of have her live and to save her was just, not what we needed from this film and what Thor's character needed. Right. And it it really tied up the loose end, you know, to your point, having a character who's as important as Jane in the first two films. I mean, at one point in this film, Thor literally says, you made me worthy. And that's true. Yeah. She's the one who taught him how to help others and how to be worthy. So she's such an important character. And then to have her just like dismissed off screen, like, yeah, that was not great. I understand there's logistical reasons behind that, but I'm glad that we got to come back, like, what, four years later, and say, like, have that closure. I will say the one thing I do have a little qualm with, and not to be the Debbie Downer, but, you know, and we talked about this a little bit in the predictions episode, was the idea that, like, he's been pining over her all these years. Like, okay, that's fine, but, like, he literally has never really shown that, like, any other time like even when he says the like line in Ragnarok it's not said with a lot of feeling it's just like you know I'm getting over a breakup like you know like everybody does that but like it didn't feel like he was really holding on to a lot of emotions so while I really enjoyed the fact that like they got to have closure and and he got to have that last moment with the woman he loved it did feel a little disjointed from what happened later, what happened, sorry, prior in Ragnarok, because he didn't seem really concerned about Jane at all. Yeah, I, my thing is, and this kind of goes towards the fact that it might be a little disjointed, is just, I really liked that little montage of them in a relationship. I did too. Yeah, I thought that was so important because, you know, weirdly enough, we got two films of them. 
but we never really got them together. It was always something was going on. Like we never got to see them just kind of being a semi-normal couple. So I thought that was really important. I I really I loved it and I sympathized and it made me really understand their breakup a lot more and what happened. But I kind of do understand your point as well. I didn't really think about it much, but yeah, he didn't really seem much into caring about what happened with their breakup, but that could also just be, you know, it was pretty fresh at that point. And, you know, that could just be the, he's talking to his brother and, you know, their relationship and they're not really like, yes, they're close, but they're not like, he's not going to pretty much give his brother a a weakness moment for him. And so I, I kind of also can look at it that way and be like, you know, he was just, we all do it after a breakup. We're kind of like, oh, well, screw that. I'm good. It's fine. It happens. Stuff goes, whatever. And you kind of brush it off. So you can kind of look at it from that and then just realize, you know, after everything he lost, I mean, he knows that he lost her in the snap too. Like she was gone for five years. So I definitely think maybe he wasn't pining after her for the full eight years, but he lost so much and then he lost her on top of that. I mean, she was probably his reason for wanting to bring everybody back. She was the only one he had left that wasn't like permanently dead, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. And I did think about that too. I just, personally, I need a a little something more than that to make me emotionally invest. They were able to do that through the montage and things like that. But at the beginning, I was like, oh, this is, you know, and even like we said in the predictions, like, oh, this is the card we're playing. I was a little skeptical. They sold me on it, you know, later on. But I did have a little bit of trouble at the beginning. And then I was actually very excited that she got to go to Valhalla and then we got to see it. You know, it's talked about so much. Yeah. Throughout all of Thor, we see his mother go, his father go. Theoretically, we think Loki went. Well, (laughs) okay, you brought it up. So I'm going to bring up my my this is the small qualm I had. The only one. I think it's the same one I probably have. It's one of a few that I have, but go for it. Oh, see, this is literally the only one I had. Because I loved seeing Heimdall. Me too. That was beautiful. The fact that it was his kid too, that was awesome. Yes, exactly. The only thing, and this is going to be me being greedy, and I get it. I know. I'm going to preface that with with all of that. But I was really hoping we would get maybe 10 more seconds of that clip and the camera would move back and we'd see Frigga, Odin, and Loki, who all did die warrior deaths. Yeah, I, well, first I thought it was going to be Loki because we talked about seeing Loki and I was like, please let at least one of my, you know, predictions be right because I was 0 for 2 last night. But, you know, beyond that, I was like, okay, let it be Loki. And then my second thought was, let it be Frigga because they actually bonded. Yeah. And Frigga, despite Jane's being immortal, was very supportive of their relationship. I mean, Frigga literally died protecting Jane. Yeah. So like, let them have that moment. And I was, don't get me wrong, so excited to see Idris Elba back. But to your point, like, we could have gotten more. I actually would have loved, like, thinking about it later, I would have loved to see, like, Loki have some snarky comment about how she died so young because he used to, like, badger Thor about that, you know, when they were still alive in the Dark World. So yeah, that would have brought, like, a really nice, like, full circle snarky Loki moment. And I was kind of disappointed, to your point, to not see that. Yeah, I mean, and I loved Heimdall. And like I said... When I explain my feelings, I know that's me just being 
needy and wanting more and I get that I know that that that's what this is because what it was was still very beautiful oh it was gorgeous and I would love to see Valhalla again like let's not make that a one-off location in the MCU that puts Asgard to shame and and I've talked a million times about how much I love Asgard and how much I wish it was real so I could go but like that makes Asgard literally look like a trash heap yeah it was so beautiful well and I understood Heimdall because he kept watch for her. He was like her guardian angel, essentially, ready to send the troop whenever she was in some sort of trouble. So I really thought that was important, and I did like that it was Heimdall, but I, I really did expect them to pan and at least see Frigga. I did expect that, especially because we were bringing so many characters back already that I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to see Frigga. And then my brain immediately was like, wait, Odin should be there, and technically... By all the rules, so should Loki. So I was like, this would actually be really a big closure moment. And not that this whole film already wasn't, and it was amazing, and it really helps to set up moving forward, which I know is going to be a conversation in a little bit, but I really did expect to see his family there, especially because they pointed out that he lost, like they made it a point to be like, he lost his mom, his dad, his brother like seven times. Nearly Korg. Which I almost stopped breathing. Oh, I know. I was like, no one else, no one else, no one else. Or like when when Valkyrie got stabbed, I was like, no, I'm leaving the theater right now if Valkyrie dies. I honestly almost got up. I was like, if I was not reclined back in my seat, I probably would have stood up and started walking out. I was like, not today, Satan. You do not take Valkyrie and Korg today. Absolutely not. No, I was not ready. But... Let's get into some of that. Before we get into anything else, I want to say one thing about Valhalla and the trip to Valhalla, and I want to I want to play into a conspiracy theory that I don't believe in, but I think might potentially resurface now that we've seen another instance of someone going to Valhalla. So let me set it up for you. The first person we see go is Frigga in the dark world. Yep. We see her in the beautiful ship. There's that scene where she lights up into sparkles and goes to Valhalla. Mm-hmm. When Odin dies in Norway, lights him into sparkles and goes to Valhalla. Yep. When Loki dies in Infinity War, there are no sparkles. Yeah. This can be read two ways. One, my guy didn't make it to Valhalla, which is cruel and unusual punishment and just is not real and I refuse to even acknowledge that any further. Second, the real Loki isn't dead. (laughs) I'm not saying I believe it because they've told us a million times and they wouldn't have done Loki the way they did if there was any chance that our real Loki was still alive. I genuinely believe that. But that does not mean that the real Loki alive believers are not going to take this as a sign that perhaps our guy is still alive. This is the moment in the podcast where I have to let Taylor know that she doesn't know who she's talking to clearly because I was a very firm Loki is still alive believer. Oh, no, I know. Because we, how many conversations do we have about him not turning blue? It, well, exactly. And I'll still stand by that. And actually, you know what? Thank you for giving me that idea. So now, <laughs> now I can run with that. Catch us on the Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I did, I, I was kind of trying to figure out, like, technically I've, what I've heard of Valhalla is that really you just have to die the warrior's death. And I was like, technically he was in battle when he died. So I was like, he kind of checks that checkbox and he is an adopted as guardian. <laughs> so... You know, I would assume that everything should work out for him. Well, and if Jane made it, then 
Loki should. Yeah. Because he lived as an Asgardian for thousands of years and she did for three weeks. Not to diminish Jane at all, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, no, I get it. So, I, yeah, I mean, I just kind of would have assumed, and that's why I said I kind of thought I'd see him there, but now that you bring that up, I think <laughs> I need to run with that even further. I'm just saying, we're Let's Talk Marvel fan theories, and that is one of the most popular theories out there to this day. Yeah, I mean, I'll continue to run with that, because I want to, um, <laughs> without And any... also, you feel how you feel about Loki, so anything, I think, in your head to negate the importance of that is gonna gain some, uh, gain some real estate. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I will continue to... It's like my... Cap storyline didn't make any sense thing is just as hardcore as there's no way Loki's dead. He didn't turn blue. And that literally is a huge plot hole. And now you can add that he sparkled. He didn't sparkle. Yeah, he didn't sparkle. And he should have made it to Valhalla by the list of requirements, which is literally just one thing. And he did that one thing. So, okay, I'll, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. You're welcome. But now let's get into the real grit of this movie, which... You know, whatever. We talked a little bit about the Guardians. They go off on their little thing. We go to New Asgard, which felt weird that it's a tourist attraction, but I guess I'm not surprised. I both hated and loved that. On one hand, I was like, okay, they need to make money. They need to, like, be a society. People were obsessed with Thor. Like, I get it. On the other hand, I was like, ew. Like, and that's, like, the only reaction, you know? It felt slightly disjointed just because... There was no separation of, like, where people went for touristy things and where people lived. So when, like, the children got taken, it was a little hard for me to be like, oh, these are Asgardian kids because I now have been introduced to New Asgard again as a tourist attraction. Yeah. So it was a little weird, um, but I'm not really surprised. To your point, Thor is super popular, Tony and Cap are dead, so it's like... The Avengers are doing nothing. <laughs> I mean, Wanda's traveling through the multiverse as, like, a psychopath. It's just, like, a lot's going on. So I kind of get it. I did. But okay, we see new Asgard. Cool, cool, cool. I love Valkyrie with a burning passion. So cool. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. I love Korg. And, and this is why I thought this movie was so good. It really did come down to the characters. Came down to the fact that we got our buddy group of the Revengers minus one member, actually two members. Uh, don't even. I can't. I can't with the. Loss. I forgot, but we still have them together, and I mean they're a great little trio. I liked who we got back from the original Thor's, and I think honestly, I loved Mighty Thor, Thor, Valkyrie fighting together. I thought these like this is why I can kind of write off him being super silly at the beginning of the movie to being with the guardians because as soon as he was fighting with as guardians and with people who fight his style of fighting he was back to his normal well as guardian fighting I guess <laughs> but back to what we're used to seeing with him and I loved it I thought it was just absolutely amazing their dynamics were great and I love that Valkyrie and and Jane just were like immediate besties. I'm so glad you brought that up because I loved that aspect so much. Like, like there's that scene where you first find out that Jane isn't cured when she's in the bathroom by herself. She drops the hammer. She looks so incredibly ill. Yeah. And Valkyrie knocks on the door and it's not immediately clear that she knows 
you know, how bad things are for Jane. And then you find out she knows. Not only that, but she's supporting her. Oh my god, and they're ready for battle. And they have, like, their, you know, their little mantra and their speaker. And they're, like, doing the head bob. I was like, I love this, like, gal pal moment. Like, I was living for it. Yeah, I mean, I think it made the dynamic so much easier. Because I think that was something I brought up in the predictions episode. Was I was like, you know, Jane doesn't know any of these people Thor you know, holds very highly now in his life. So I was a little intrigued on how that would work. And it it felt so smooth. So I loved it. And you know, whatever, where it's time to save the children. And we go and we end up visiting good old Zeus in omnipotent city. That's what we couldn't remember last episode. It's omnipotent city. Yeah, you went Olympus, and I was like, no, that's a name. <laughs> to be fair, I am not familiar with them in the comics, so I was just like, let me pull out. It also starts with an O, but let me pull out my Greek knowledge from Percy Jackson. I'm ready. <laughs> well. I had to say, obviously it was gorgeous, all of that, we know that, we saw that in the, even in the trailer, but I I thought it was both hilarious and very awe-inspiring to see all the different gods. Obviously they had the, like, jokester ones, which was, like, the dumpling. Oh my god, bow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have somebody in my life who I know, if they watch this movie, will have a meltdown over that because they love dumplings. So as soon as I saw that, I, like, burst out laughing. I feel bad for everybody who's around me. I was extremely obnoxious during this film. No, so was I. I felt kind of bad. So sorry. But, so if you if you're, happen to be somebody who was around me in the theater, I am sorry. <laughs> but and I thought it was a super powerful moment I and I thought it was so interesting because they ironically did Zeus so well the fact that he had the Greek accent I was like was awesome oh my god yeah that was so awesome Russell Crowe as usual yeah he was so good and the fact that like they did that they made that choice I was like that was brilliant because you could have just played him with an American accent and like whatever, Percy but Jackson. to actually make him sound like he should have sounded as a Greek god, I was like, that was such a brilliant choice. Like, so smart. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think this movie did a lot with showing all those gods. It did a lot to, dare I say, prove, because I know proving things can be hard in Marvel just because one door opens to 17 more. A lot of our questions about the gods. I mean, we've been seeing a lot lately. I mean, we obviously saw in Moon Knight, we had some questions even regarding Wanda because of the Scarlet Witch and Chthon and everything going on with that. So there were a lot of like questionable things of, you know, gods and very powerful beings, which we'll get into the very powerful beings bucket a little later. But there were just a lot of questions coming up recently regarding that. But, you know, you're seeing them sitting there and not everybody's there and you know you have the gods who are down and I'm sure serving their people very well and I'm not saying everybody up there wasn't but you kind of are seeing this other end to it you know you're seeing the back end of the it felt like you almost weren't supposed to be there because you know obviously here in America people worship everything and anything or nothing but it's like we have very or a very good idea of, you know, who, who, whatever you worship looks like and what they they do. And you don't really think to ever be like, oh, you know, there's like living life. <laughs> so I thought it was really interesting and it was pretty eye-opening. I know like we saw 
bass is a great one to have pointed out. I was trying to pinpoint others, couldn't really like... I was looking so hard. I was like, who do I recognize? Yeah, but we also knew she was going to make an appearance. Question, and I don't know if I'm just reading too much into this. Okay. But did you see the dragon? Yes. Because my immediate thought was Shang-Chi. I was like, oh. Oh, Because there's that huge dragon. I, I know they really weren't getting into God territory there, but I couldn't help but look at that and remember him riding a dragon at the end of that film. I was like, oh, are we getting a little bit of ties there? So... That was one that I, like, picked out when I was trying to do my, like, survey of the room. Yeah, I mean, there might be ones that were, or will be important moving down the road that we weren't really, we don't know for sure who they were. But Bass being there, and like I said, we talked about this in the predictions, is really important because our next movie is the second Black Panther. So... It was really interesting. Obviously, we didn't really get an interaction with her or anything, which I sort of wish we had. Agreed. But I really respected Thor so much because he went up toe-to-toe with his idol. And I think this happens... This is, like, a really good lesson in general. I mean, how many times growing up do you idolize people and as you get older, you're like, you're a terrible human being. Like, you genuinely... Like, they say or do something, and you're like, wow, why did I you know, put you on such a pedestal. And I gave so much respect and I had so much respect towards Thor for, you know, going up there and saying, who do you think you are? And then when he, when he took that lightning bolt and pulled a cat with Mjolnir and I, and did the whole like face turned back and it, as he caught it and everything, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It was, it was it. It was all I needed. And then like two minutes later when he like, shot it through Zeus's chest I literally like hit my friend I was like oh my god he just killed Zeus well I was like is that even possible (laughs) I know I was like well and then I'm not gonna lie I was like oh they just killed Zeus I was like ah yeah I was like go Thor but also you just took that piece off the table when you just and obviously we'll get to this later but when you just put it back on are you kidding me or on for the first time And honestly, we should just hit it right now since I think it flows the easiest right into this part of the conversation. Yeah. I remember talking back, I think in the predictions for Moon Knight, and I was already bringing up Zeus. And I was like, he's a possibility. (laughs) And his son, who appears in the first credit scene, Hercules, which I almost jumped out of my chair. Like, actually caught air. My problem was I was so mad at myself. Because when we were doing the predictions, I sat there and I was like, Oh, you know, I think it'll definitely have to be something that furthers the Thor movies. I just don't know what. We have been hearing about the possibility of Hercules for, like, a year. And the fact that my brain didn't even consider it (laughs) once, I was like, oh my god. So as soon as he went, like, about to, you know, you're gonna take care of it, my son. And then you just saw him come out and then you said his name. I was like, I just, like... Pretty much wanted to facepalm so hard because I was like, no, duh, how stupid are you? You knew this was coming, but I was so happy. Yeah, I had many reactions to that and I like flicked through them in the space of half a second each. So at first I was like, shock, he's alive. Then I was like, oh, they did another fake death. And then I was like, but Zeus is back on the table. And then they put Hercules and I was like, that's when I jumped out of my chair. I was like, oh my God, they brought Hercules. And then I was like, just. It just went up from there. And all of that happened in the space of two seconds. Yeah. So it was a lot of, like, facial twitches. It was it was a lot happening. Yeah. And, I mean, we can get into 
because I know that's that's how we usually like to wrap up these reactions episodes and to where this is going after. So we don't need to get into that part of this quite yet. But yeah, that was, yeah, I was happy about that. And honestly, like, I know we'll get, like I just said, we'll get to the bigger implications later. But even just knowing that this set up the next thing and finally seeing a Thor will return. I was ready to cry. I was like, oh, time to just take everything from me, Marvel. You gave me what I needed. I don't need anything. You can own my life. I'm fine. You made me so happy. It was so good. I want to talk about the thing that you alluded to before, which was other powerful beings. I want especially to talk about the end setting of this movie and the ending of this movie, because there's a lot to unpack that happened in the last 20 minutes. So first, let's talk about the fact that we had Celestials appear twice. Yeah. Did I miscount or did I miss one? Because I think I only saw twice. No, I only saw twice as well. I know the one was a scene from the trailer already. And then the second one was, I believe, in the temple. Yeah, there was a Celestial head. It almost crushed the kids. So that was exciting. I still don't really have a good understanding of how they relate to gods in terms of the power rankings. I know we talked about that in the predictions episode, but... Really, you know, that's just someone's estimate. Right. So how does that actually play out in the MCU? We didn't get that answer here. I think that's probably fine. You know, there was so much going on. We really didn't have time to explore that. We still have an Eternals 2, obviously, coming. So there's plenty of opportunity to really dive into what the power dynamics are. But I am very curious to know, like, how the heck Celestials got, like, hooked up with the gods. I thought that was super, super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'll just interject and say... I almost feel like Celestials are like that middle point. So you have the gods, and then Celestials, and then like the cosmic beings. Because to be fair, we saw them with the gods hanging out, but they were baby Celestials because big Celestials wouldn't have like fit at all. Or maybe, here's my question, can they shrink? Like, can they control their think, size? I don't, I don't want to even, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> that We don't have time for that today. No, I think they're just babies. I think they're just smaller. I'm just going to go with that. Let me live my life. Anyway, but then we did see the head as if it was a statue in that room. And that room was a shrine to cosmic beings. So I very much have to think they're kind of a, they play both sides sort of thing. I, I would assume that the cosmic beings, because they're a little, dare I say, harder to hang out with, <laughs> maybe they come down to chill with some of the gods, but they're pretty much on or around the level of the cosmic beings, which makes sense. Yeah, I do really quickly, just taking one step back to the gods, there's one point I wanted to make that I thought was really interesting. The fact that Zeus was the exact embodiment of why Gore had his mission mm -hmm. was so smartly done. I was like, you're literally just making him. And I, I want to definitely talk about Gore now, I think. And then we'll go back into that room because Gore is obviously such a big part of that room. But he was so sympathetic because how many times have we seen horrible things happen? And as a society or, you know, a group of faithful people questioned you know, no matter what God you believe in or don't believe in, if you do, questioned your higher power, how could you let this happen? That is such a human or, you know, such a relatable thing to do. And then for that to be the basis of his whole mission, and then to have Zeus basically embody why he does that, just hammered home that like, this guy isn't some like, crazy Thanos weirdo. This guy is everybody who has just pushed a little too far and lost like 
a little too much. Heck, if Thor wasn't a god, Thor could have been Gore if he was a human. Think about all that he lost. So I just thought that whole character was so well done. Well, and honestly, think of who Thor was in the first Thor. Yeah. I mean, he was not far off from that narrative either. And since we're gonna talk about Gore, and I was actually hoping that we'd kind of branch into him prior to finishing out the film with, you know, our cosmic beings, I have to say, first, I loved the beginning. I thought it was immensely powerful to directly show what happened. I'm glad they did not gloss over that. I thought it was extremely moving. And honestly, I think, and not to, obviously, there's not anything the podcast is about, but to live in the society we live in today, I thought that was extremely powerful. But regardless, not only did we see him, you know, become the God Slayer, but he does such a good job at kind of straddling this line of, I'm losing myself and my brain and I'm losing my sanity because it's taking me over and also feeling his pain and knowing he's conscious, consciously making the choice he wants to make because he's angry. Yeah. He does a, an amazing job of straddling that line. I mean, when he's talking to the children, you're like, this guy's a psychopath. He's freaking me out. I hate him. But then he'll sit here and he'll talk to Thor and you can tell he's in pain and he's doing what, and he wholeheartedly believes in what he's doing because of how he was treated by the God that he worshiped and that he lost his daughter because he was sitting there asking for help, asking for help. And, you know, this God laughed at his face. Like I very few times can find a villain in Marvel, not one that's not well-written. I think they're all well-written, but that's sympathetic well, I did just get the iffy sign from Taylor. That's true. Not all <laughs> villains are. But lately, I'll say that a lot of the villains have been written very well. And they've been opposing figures in, in a very striking way. And it's been really powerful to have mirrors. But I think the last time I felt this strongly and I really understood a villain's pain was Killmonger. Yeah. And I think how many times have we basically held Killmonger up as the epitome of a well-written, sympathetic villain. So to even have Gore the God Butcher enter that conversation, he is entering hollowed ground. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if I would ever be able to pick one over the other because there's such different motivations and, you know, all of that. But to even have Gore in the same conversation as Killmonger is a really big kudos to Christian Bale and the writing because Killmonger is, without a doubt, the best in terms of just being the most sympathetic and the most well-written, well-rounded villain. And he's not one note in any sense of the term. And there are quite a few that are. I'm looking at you, Malekith. So, you know, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and he's an example of a mirror, in my opinion. And honestly, I think Gore sort of is too, but he's almost like he is... Not exactly, like, obviously not a god himself, he's not a full mirror of Thor, but he's that other end of, you know, I'm the people who are supposed to be worshipping you. I'm the people who keep your name alive, and who, you know, continue to get, like, if I give my life, I give it to you. And I think, you know, I actually, not gonna lie, started crying during the part in which he was talking to Valkyrie, and he was like, what did your gods do for you? Did you oh, pray to them? When she starts crying, I was like, get away from Valkyrie. Yeah, oh, I was too. I was like, do not, do not, do not. But I actually, you know, I teared up at that moment because 
I was like, he is not wrong. And that's why I said, and you know, in a place of the society in which we live in, I think that's a very important thing that we've been, you know, kind of grasping at as well. So to see it played out this way and to see even how he addressed it, you know, what did they do for you? Did they really do anything? You lost everyone you love. In their name. Yeah. Specifically in their name, serving them. Yep. And you're alone. What did they do for you? I loved that. It was so powerful. Oh, yeah. I was, like, taken aback. I was like, this is a master class. That's what I mean. He played the character so... I don't even have words. And, I mean, I was trying to... I, would like, wanted to tweet about it because of how amazing it was. And I sat there and stared at the tweet for, like, 15 minutes because I was like, I physically cannot describe to you how he played this character because it was so well done there were so many different forms of one character that we saw, and yet all of it worked. There wasn't a single part of it where you were like, I feel like I don't get where we just got from point A to point B. No, we saw it all. I understood him. I got it. I, I saw every bit of him, and I wanted more, and I loved what we got, and I loved everything that came out of it. Yeah, I mean, Gore is going to go down as one of the best villains not only by just the sheer skill of the actor who played him, but the well-rounded and sympathetic way he was written. You empathize with him, which I think can be really hard to do with villains and not feel like you're a crappy person. But in this case, you're like, no, I get it, man. Like, we've all been through some stuff, to your point, especially lately, and I understand what you're saying, you know? So that was just... Very moving, and I really appreciate that a lot. Yeah, but I think now we get into the cosmic beings and... The room. Yeah. Let's do it. So... The statues. Yeah. So, we obviously talked about the Watcher, we had a Celestial. Did you happen to catch anybody else? Because I definitely need to look into... I know there's stuff out there now, it's been out for 24 hours, like, there's definitely some more important heads up there but i didn't recognize any on my viewing so as i promised everybody i did do my research and it is actually written in the blog so you can tell taylor doesn't pay attention but <laughs> i did do my research the question is going to be if i get the names right because that's gonna be hard one of them though is lady death which is pretty interesting like thanos's girlfriend yeah, but also, I mean, she quite literally just kind of in general has control over death. That's really just the whole thing of her. So that's kind of interesting to have somewhat confirmation that there's a being out there who kind of has that ability, considering we've got some dead characters and we now just saw Valhalla, and I would be intrigued to see if that would be a future anything. Well, not to mention, this is now the third, going back quickly to Valhalla, because you just sparked something within me when you talked about Lady Death. This is now the third time we've seen a depiction of the afterlife. We've seen the Wakandan version. Mm -hmm. We've seen the Egyptian version. And now we've seen the Asgardian version. Is there a world in which we are starting to see life after death in the MCU? I'm not opposed. In fact, it's a world in which I very much want to live. So let's go. Well, and I'm just going to throw this out there. This is a little bit of a wild one, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. Go for it. As a certified... Greek mythology fan, <laughs> I know my ins and outs of quite a bit of the Greek mythology. And this will all make sense in a second, so just follow. You know, if you know anything about the underworld, and now 
I'm not talking about Percy Jackson. Like, I'm talking about the actual myths and everything that came out of those. The underworld itself, there are ways in and out of it. There are ways to get souls out of it. Um, They're not always easy. They usually aren't. But it's possible. It's very difficult, so it doesn't happen often. But I bring this up because, well, the underworld is the Greek afterlife. You know, Hades is Zeus's brother. And who did we have in this film? We had Zeus. That, to me, I have to go with, okay, that's his underworld. That's his afterlife. That is what he knows. Zeus's afterlife. Whoever, you know, worships him. Underworld. Boom. Okay. So I'm just saying, following all of this logic, technically, I would have to assume that all of the other underworlds, which are all called different things, like Valhalla, would have ways out of them as well. It's just my thought process. Well, and we saw Steven slash Mark do it. Exactly. So there's precedence for returning to life after death. And all I'm saying is it opens doors that the multiverse, we don't even need it anymore. That's all I'm saying. Hey, maybe we'll see Loki. Uh, No. (laughs) I want to. Well, right, because he's not dead, so he's not in the afterlife. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But so one of them is Lady Death, which is... Interesting enough for its case, of course, to Taylor's point, she is Thanos' love interest in the comics. He essentially does everything he does for her because he's trying to, like, impress her. So I guess that's kind of cute. In a really toxic and horrible way, but sure. Yeah, what a look at that. And now I'm blanking on the names of the other. One of them is, I believe, Eon, if I remember correctly. I believe one is Infinity, and that might be the one that we saw in this film. Was that the one that, that they open the gate to? No, it was eternal. Okay, well then one of them's infinity, and we didn't see her, but she's a statue. And as I was saying, there's one, and I don't know if this is, this might be Eon, who has like a very grotesque face, and he's pretty much been alive since like all time. He's pretty much the big brother of the group. Um, And I'm blanking, I can't remember the one with the three faces that we brought up before. Oh, we've seen him in Thor. Yeah, I can't remember... It's fine. Regardless, go to the blog post. It does have all of them. But the really big thing about this is all these people have now been confirmed to be players. Yeah. And that's super big. That's some big power in there. There's a lot of, I mean, even just the Watcher alone has so much power. And if those beings are even equal to him, let alone more powerful, I mean, that room alone, the amount, obviously we know they weren't there in the flesh, but like, the amount of power that that room would hold would make people like Thor and Zeus look like ants. It is insanity. Exactly. And that is why it may be, okay, whatever, when we were doing predictions, we saw the statues, we were like, okay, that at least confirms that they're in the MCU. But then we saw one, like, actively play a role in this film and bring somebody back to life. So this is big question for you and i may be reading too much into this but that cosmic shape was that the watcher or was that galacticus what shape so when gore goes to make his wish to kill all gods and he brings his daughter back he's praying essentially to a shape yeah that outline was that galacticus or the watcher i just thought that was infinity i thought infinity was a person no it was called the eternal that was the place Oh, that's what I... Oh, I thought it was one of the cosmic beings. I don't know, because technically Galacticus is a cosmic being. He's the devourer of worlds. Well, that is why the cosmic beings being present is important. 
But <laughs> for the viewers who are listening, just to give the context of why I said that's really big. Okay, yeah, I was clearly not paying attention to that point in the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? No, uh, yeah, okay, I wasn't following that. I don't know. I mean, I did, I just thought it kind of looked like the Abuda shape. No, it is either Galacticus or the Watcher. So we're definitely going to do a little bit more research. I really, knowing the Watcher's abilities, I don't see it being the Watcher. I My immediate thought was Galacticus because I think that's his shape. And so I literally like started saying a lot of very inappropriate words because I didn't know how to like verbalize in a way that wasn't cursing. But my friend was like, no, I think that's the Watcher. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure that's galacticus yeah okay i definitely was really wrapped up in all the other emotional moments and was not paying enough attention to that so i will be making my way to the theaters again on a on sale tuesday night and (laughs) have to watch that again because i was not i like can picture it but not enough to be able to know if it's accurate or just now my brain putting a like galaxy version of buddha (laughs) in my brain so either way we're also gonna do a little bit and by we i mean kate is also gonna do a little bit of research and see if we can get a more definitive answer and if there's a little bit more chatter online that's talking more definitively about what that might be because not gonna lie guys if we have a confirmed galacticus that right there is your big bad because who better than the man who devours worlds yeah especially when we have celestials already like Blowing them up. Blowing them up. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, jinx. (laughs) I mean, I think I said it first, but... (laughs) All right, whatever. We have this interaction. It's a very emotional one. Like I said, I was clearly only paying attention to that. You know, Thor says his goodbye to Jane. I thought that was really amazing. We see her go off to Valhalla. And then Gore's daughter, who I'm not even sure we got her name. Correct me if we did. I don't believe we did. Because she's love in Love and Thunder. Yeah, but I don't know. Which I thought was cute. I thought that was really cute, too. I just didn't, I don't know if we got her, like, actual name. No, we didn't. But also, just fun fact, guys, that's Chris Hemsworth, like, his real daughter. Wait, is it really? Yeah, it's it's India Hemsworth. Oh my god! And then the kid who plays Thor running in the woods at the age of about seven, it's his son. Yeah. Na- one of Natalie's kids was in it, too. Well, what's really interesting is... She's going to be such a big role, so I'm really intrigued by this. Okay, that's even better. But I don't think we got her name. But obviously, you know, she has her moment saying goodbye to her father. And then I thought it was amazing that Gore, you know, and this is what also made him so sympathetic is in his moment of death, he realized his mistake. And he, instead of getting rid of all the gods, brought his daughter back to live another life. Yeah. And asked Thor, he saw Thor's value. He saw him for who he was and and was like, please take her, take care of her. Well, and I think too, Gore realized that what he had been thinking was that he was making a generalization. Like, yeah, yeah there were crappy gods, a la Zeus, but then you have gods like Thor, who has actively fought not only for the safety of Asgard, yes, that didn't go so hot for him, but also Earth and the other realms of the Nine Realms. Like, he's actively been trying to help his people versus just sitting up in his castle and doing nothing. Well, and to be fair, Asgard was pretty much prophesized that Ragnarok had to happen. And honestly, Ragnarok was Odin's fault anyway, so. Bad parenting 101. So, you know, then we get this amazing scene where Thor's dad, Thor, 
And now that I know it's his own daughter, I'm even more like just blown to bits by how amazing it was and how cute because Thor really would be such a great father. And I know she calls him uncle in it because she's old enough to recognize, you know, Thor is sort of more of the adoptive person in her life. But a part of me, and this is unlikely feeling for me, and I can't believe I want to say it, but I actually felt really sad for Tony and Morgan because that's what it reminded me of and Tony didn't get to live his life with his daughter and so seeing Thor you know interact with this little girl that he's now taking care of it really makes me think of Morgan out there with her mom who no longer has her father who adored her and so it really was I was like oh what a interesting way for this to have ended was that Thor ended up essentially being a dad yes and I actually really love that character development I think you know We've seen him be the god, we've seen him try to be king, we've seen him be the brother, the lover, the avenger, the guardian, but this is the one thing Thor hasn't tried. And I think that was kind of the whole wrap-up was like, what's Thor's identity? Well, now he's a dad. Also the fact, not to minimize how important that is emotionally, but the fact that he fights with Mjolnir and she fights with Stormbreaker, (gasps) I was like sobbing, laughing, so funny. Yeah. We also brought that up while watching it. We were like, okay, (laughs) why is she running with the stick that's as tall as her? Like, I was like... And then he has Mjolnir that has marker and tassels on it. I know. But I thought it was amazing. I will say, what I really want to bring attention to is, she has the powers of a cosmic being. And he said that. So... I will do more research on her character if it's out there, because unfortunately right now I don't know her name, so I'm going to have to do some research first on even who she is. But this will be interesting, because she will be more powerful than Thor. Yeah. She is born from a cosmic being, because we have to... Yes, okay, she was technically living. She died, though. Her second life came from a cosmic person as a parent. So... I'm pretty intrigued about that one. That should be interesting, and that will be obviously a journey we see in Thor 5. I love saying that. Can I just pause for a second? Thor 5. So happy. Thor 5. It sounds so good. He deserves every second of it. He truly does. Oh, 1 million and 4%. Yeah, I mean, there's no other way to put that. And so I just, and I think, you know, his character development, it's so important to have, you know, something he can now love unrelentingly and and it's it, it's amazing and I'm actually really excited because you know we have Lady Sif back and I have had my theories about that and we all know I have my theories about that so and she's missing an appendage and so she gets to join my club like <laughs> super excited your club yeah I mean we have Bucky we oh. have Captain Hook like we have a club and so now she gets to join it. And I even said that while I was watching it. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> she gets to join the club. <laughs> so You're weird. I'm excited. Me too. I have two more things that I forgot to bring up when we were talking about things that were slightly more related to them. So I'm just going to bring them up as a Taylor's Last Call. And then if you have anything, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about where we're going from here. And we'll call it an episode. My first thing, the fact that they gave Stormbreaker a personality oh my god and feelings I was like at first I didn't know how I felt about it but like the whole Stormbreaker versus Mjolnir thing was like I don't even know I don't even know no when he the first time 
when Thor is trying to call Mjolnir over and Stormbreaker just slowly goes past him and then turns towards him. I was like, it's an axe, but yet somehow I feel its emotions. It like, it was so funny because like, to your point, it didn't need facial features. It didn't need to speak, but like just the way it would tilt. I was like, I know how it feels. And then the fact that like, it's opening eternity and he's like, would you please stop? Can we talk about this? Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> my dude. Like, that was great. But at the same time, not to be a downer, I was like, all right, so now we're playing the weapons off as, like, personalities. That was a little wacky for me, but I also belly laughed, so I was like, tomato, tomato, I guess, you know, we'll live with it. I loved it. Yeah. That was my one thing. My other thing was I want to talk about Eternity as a Place really quick. Did it remind you of anything? Thanos getting the soul stone. And also when you brought up Tony, it reminded me of the deleted scene with an older Morgan. Oh, yeah. So I was wondering, like, is there a way that they're connected? Because the soul stone is obviously connected to a person's life form. Like, is there a way that those are related, not universes, zones, areas, dimensions? I don't know what the proper vernacular is. But all I'm saying is it's relating to wishes, you get your greatest desire, life and death. There's just some parallels. They had the little thin water thing going on. I think there are parallels, but I will personally shoot that down for the sake of I think we need to, and I think Marvel has been trying really hard to shut us up about the stones. And the concept of the stones, because they were obviously the big players in phases one through three. They will not be in phases four through six. So I think, you know, we kind of have to be like, okay, endgame was their ending point, And we need to just sort of move on. I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I just don't know that the area needs to be tied to a stone. Like, for example... If it's that soul stone area could have been introduced, but that doesn't necessarily mean that whatever that area is, whether it's a form of afterlife or whatever, cannot be a bigger player later on. It just happened to be introduced by a stone. If you think about it, in many ways, Dr. Strange was introduced by a stone and he's still going on and doing things and we don't necessarily tie him to a stone. So I don't know that that area being introduced by a stone precludes it from perhaps playing a role later down the road, especially if it is related to a Galacticus, which is insane. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the option is still there, but I think, personally, I think they're just two different places that might be just symbolic of a similar thing, so they might look the same for that purpose, because, I mean, so obviously, like, our stones are non-existent anymore, the new ones are non-existent anymore, so <laughs> there are no stones in our current timeline at this point. So there technically is not a thing further to be a soul stone like area, but I would assume it still is probably tied to the stone. So I, I think they're just, because they're similar concepts, they look the same for that reason. That's fair. I just, that was my immediate like reaction was, oh, we're here. And then I realized, like, the coloring was different, so I was confused, but immediately, like, my brain made that connection. Yeah. All right, I'm officially out of things that I had in my mental list. How are you doing? Only thing I got left is, and I don't even know, actually, if we really have to talk too much about it, is, you know, where we're going next. Oh, right. 
Just the big one. Yeah, but honestly, I mean, they made it really clear. I don't think, actually, we're gonna see Thor in another movie until we see Thor 5. Yeah, I definitely don't see him as part of the next set of Avengers, for sure. He's busy with his daughter doing their space Viking thing. I mean, I don't not necessarily, because he's the last one left, really, that's like, would probably want to be a part of it. Hawkeye, nah, doesn't really seem that interested. Bruce is, like, weird now because he's, like, Bruce and Hulk at the same time. But and then it's also just kind of... not if you're in Shang-Chi. Yeah, I don't want to even... It's just weird. They've kind of dubbed the Hulk. But he's kind of the last one that I think would be interested. And the last one of the OG6. So I actually wouldn't write him off for being in an Avengers movie and continuing his role there. I wouldn't at all. But I know that, you know, yes, there's been rumors of Avengers 5, but there's been no confirmations. The only thing that, I mean, there's been news today that the the director has been named for the uh, new Captain America film for Sam's character. So I think we're going to probably get that before we get an Avengers 5, which means- Oh, we have to, because Sam's got to be the leader, right? Isn't that what we said when we did that episode? We both kind of agreed. Exactly. So I think, you know, we're going to end up with a Thor 5 before we get an Avengers 5. That's fair. And I think to amend my last statement, I don't see him in another Avengers movie before he gets another movie. I think as I'm thinking this through more, he needs to have been established- in this new form a little bit more before he comes back to almost take a step back into what we know him as before. We need to establish him in this yet new evolution of Thor. Yeah, I I can agree with that. And obviously this movie, the importance of this is it's set up directly for the next Thor film. Absolutely. I mean, the Avengers are not going to fight Hercules. <laughs> no. And honestly, I know... That the MCU lore is so much different than, like, actual mythology lore. And I also know Hercules is Greek, and Thor is obviously part of the Norse mythology. But my brain is like, how are you going to put Hercules up against Thor? One is, like, a god, and one is a demigod turned kind of god? Just because, you know, the whole task thing or whatever. But I was like, still. How are you going <laughs> to... Like, I was like, there's no comparison. This The dude just pretty much, like, yeeted his dad, who is the king of, like, all gods, pretty much. And he's like, son, I choose you. And I'm like, why? <laughs> what? What is this... How is this going to go, you know? It'll definitely be interesting. I'm trying to think if there's anybody out there who would potentially, like, be a team-up with Thor, because... Hera, if you follow Greek mythology. <laughs> she hates Hercules. <laughs> So I totally agree. I think, you know, there is a lot of precedence for setting up directly the next movie. Like, obviously, in phases one through three, I think we saw a lot of setting up the larger kind of overarching Infinity Saga, especially as it relates to Thor. But there has been times, like, in Guardians 2 that set up Adam Warlock for Guardians 3. Loki, kind of Doctor Strange and Mordo, even though that kind of got weird. But, like, the idea that it's supposed to set up the next villain, potentially even Shang-Chi setting up his sister as his next villain. So I wouldn't be surprised if, to your point, we're now looking at a Thor versus Hercules battle for Thor 5. Well, and I will just say this for the greater MCU. I know that I kind of brought up, will Thor usher in more of the next phases, like he essentially did with phases 1 through 3. The thing is, is, you know, if the gods are gonna go to battle well we have celestials who are already not happy with their eternals 
so, I mean, there's starting to be some rifts I'm starting to see where I'm thinking we're getting gods on one side and we're getting, you know, our guys on the other. Thor would fall right in with the Eternals. Yeah. I mean, literally would fall right in with them. And I think that was a group that we were like, mm, I'm not really sure where this is going like all together. Well, now we have our connection. Oh, agreed. We have seen Celestials who hang out with the gods. If the gods are going to listen to Zeus, because they will, it's not just Hercules coming for him. It's everyone. So maybe not like big Avengers movie the way that we're used to them, but I'm not against seeing some team up starting to happen here because, you know, we're playing one side and some of the powerful beings are starting to play another. Well, I could even see a Captain Marvel being involved in that. Like, so could I know I. she's a little more cosmic, but she has that level of power to be able to play with these people. I mean, she can go toe-to-toe with Thor. Yeah. We haven't seen it, but she could. Well, we have, and what if? That's where I was like, why do I feel like they fought before? That's what I was thinking. But then I couldn't imagine Chris Hemsworth and Brie Larson, but then I also have seen their interviews, so I can't imagine it. But, like, we haven't actually seen it on screen in live action. We don't talk about the Endgame interviews. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was so awkward. I don't know if they're ever going to be able to put them on screen together like that ever again. (laughs) Yeah, no. Not unfiltered like that. But, yeah, so I think Captain Marvel would be an interesting player in there as well. So that's a movie I would go see. I mean, I'd go see every Marvel movie, but that's one I'd be pretty excited for. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. I'm out. I think you're out. Yep. This has been our Thor 4 reactions. Love and Thunder. It was a good one. Lots came out of this. I think this is probably our favorite Marvel movie in a while, other than No Way Home. I could agree with that. Top for Phase 4, I think. Although, honestly, Shang-Chi was really solid, too. So, definitely top three. I really like the Eternals. Oh, for me, it's definitely Shang-Chi, Thor, and then No Way Home. Not necessarily in that order, but awesome. Well, this has been our Thor 4 reactions. We hope you guys enjoyed it and that you also enjoyed the movie. I know Katie and I are big, big fans and are super excited to see the Thor franchise continue moving forward. Please keep in mind that if you haven't subscribed already to the podcast, you can do so on your podcast platform of choice, whether that is Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google, or any of the others. You can also give us a rating or a review, which just lets us know that you're enjoying the show and it's nice. You can also check out our blog, Katie, like we mentioned a million times in the episode, does some really in-depth research for things that we just don't know offhand when we're recording. So definitely check that out if you have some questions about some of the things that were hinted at in this movie. And last but not least, you can check out our Spotify playlist, which has a playlist for each of the individual shows, one playlist for all of our coverage relating to the movies, and another playlist that includes all of the songs in the shows and movies that are available on Spotify. Make sure you guys are following our Twitter at Let's Talk MFT. Right there, we have all our blog and podcast episodes linked directly as they come out, so you can find them all right there. But you can also interact with us, tweeting us your theories, your thoughts, just if you love something and we can interact with you guys directly right there so definitely make sure you guys are following us there and honestly this is ending some busy times for us we really only have one episode i say we really only have well we usually only have one episode but it's felt because we've had so many lately with the double show and movies but we have one episode coming up for next week it'll be the series finale of miss marvel so make sure that you guys are watching that and that you guys are prepared for our episode that covers it because marvel just blew your mind so let's talk about it